this is a messianic psalm, a psalm that is recognized as looking forward to Jesus. Wonderful psalm. But that's not going to be the focus tonight, um, or our focus. I'm reading from the NIV, all my, all my scriptures, this, this, this evening particularly, because, I, because of the type of psalm it is. I'm reading from the NIV. So Psalm 69, verses 1 to 21. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, the floods engulf me. I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched, my eyes fail, looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You know my folly, O God. My guilt is not hidden from you. May those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me, O Lord, the Lord Almighty. May those who seek you not be put to shame because of me, O God of Israel. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But I pray to you, O Lord, in the time of your favour. In your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O, God, o Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly. For I'm in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Redeem me because of my foes. You know how I, am, how I am scorned, disgraced and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food. And gave me vinegar for my thirst. You recognize much of the Lord yes, there, Jesus, yes, on the cross. Yes. So let's pray. So, our God and Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, your inspired word, would you open this word to us, Lord? Would you put those, or help me to express the thoughts that you've laid on my heart and you've brought to my attention as I've studied? And help me, Lord, to bring these thoughts. But, Lord, I pray that through that and through your word, you'd speak to our hearts. So help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a prayer, obviously, it's David is the, um, the psalmist. And, and he's, he's praying to God for those who hate him. He's in suffering. He's, he's, be, he's being tormented by those who really are making his life a misery. So verse 4. 
Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. So he was being unjustly accused of things that he he hadn't done. And he's suffering because of that. And he's suffering um, unjustly. Verse 7. For I endure scorn for your sake. And shame covers my face. He was suffering scorn and shame because of his faith in God. That was his testimony. He was living a righteous life. Yet he was being tormented for it. And persecuted. Verse 8. I am a stranger to my brother's. An alien to my mother's sons. Even his family had rejected him. He knows what we're going through. And they turn their backs on him. Verse 12. Those who sit at the gate mock me. And I am the song of the drunkards. Those who sit at the gate are the, are the, the leaders of the, of, of the city. They're the council leaders. and So even the leaders had, had turned against him. The civic leaders. And also the drunkards. <laughs> so from one extreme to the other, he was in a mess. Verse 19 to 21. You know I am scor- how I am scorned, disgraced, shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. He felt distraught by this. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. I looked for comforters. I found none. Even his friends turned against him and uh, turned away from him. He, he sought them. But he was left alone and, and abandoned. And as I said, that's a, it is an, an accurate description of Jesus. It's a wonderful foretelling of what Christ himself experienced. But actually, this is the uh, uh, so many Christians have turned to this psalm over the years, found it so encouraging and comforting, especially the persecuted church, when they're going through such suffering. Martin Luther asked this question. If Christ wore a crown of thorns, why should his followers expect only a crown of roses? And that has been the experience of Christians all through the centuries. Jesus warned of that. We had some references in John's Gospel. We we won't turn to those because I want to press on. But um, yeah, that's been the experience. And today, isn't it? What what an experience. That is actually happening all through the world. People are are being tormented and persecuted in a way that we know very little about in this country. And so this psalm has been a great comfort all down the centuries, and people have found it a help. The psalms are there, aren't they, to put words in our mouth uh, by those who have experienced things that we've experienced or going through when we go through the valleys, as well as um, our right up there on, on, on the mountaintop. But then... We come to the next part of the psalm. And I want to read verses 22 to 29. Which says, and he goes on to say, Now, may the table set before them become a snare. This is, he's speaking and praying about God acting against those who made his life a misery. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. 
May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute you, those you wound, and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. I am in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. Now, the first part of the psalm we're quite comfortable with. We think, well, that's, that's a nice psalm. I, I, he understands what I'm going through. And uh, yeah, that's, he's, he's, he's really praying what I was on my heart when I go through troubles. But then, in the next part of the psalm, I don't know about you, but I found that a bit more uncomfortable. Because he's calling down God's wrath and God's judgment on, on his enemies. And then it's, it's great in verse 30, then he suddenly bursts into praise. Verse 30, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. He goes from one extreme, judge them, Lord, pour out your wrath, to now I'll praise your name forever and ever. How do we cope with a psalm like that? I was thinking whenever I read a psalm a bit like this, it's a bit, in a way, it's a bit like a guilty pleasure. Part of me thinking, yeah, I agree with you, David. <laughs> Go for it. You, you do it. You go, yeah, they deserve their comeuppance. I, I agree with you. And, and especially when, you, when you, you read of injustices and persecution right through the world, you think, God, they, those people who are doing that deserve justice. They, but come and judge them. But then there's a part of me that's feeling guilty that I'm thinking like that. And I'm thinking, no, I should be loving them. I should be praying for them. I should be blessing those who persecute us. I was in a prayer meeting recently, and I won't, I won't say where it was. I won't say who it was, and you probably won't know anyway. Well, you wouldn't know who was praying. But they were praying for their neighbours and people in their street. And they were praying a bit like this second part of the psalm. And uh, so they, they, were, they, they were really calling down almost God's wrath upon, upon those who were causing a lot of trouble in, in, in their area. And... Uh, I know there was a, in the prayer meeting, there was a bit of a, I, I don't know, I had a bit of a tussle with this, because at the end, there wasn't a loud amen from everybody after, after the psalm. How are we to respond to David's response? I mean, it, do we believe this is inspired? Is it all inspired? Yeah. Is it inspired for today? Do we pray like this? Should we pray for those who oppose God's work, those who persecute Christians, those who cause suffering? Should we pray for God's judgment on them, as David did? This, this prayer is, is one of a number of psalms which are actually quite hard to read when you read through. And they, they, I mentioned this morning, they are called, it's, hard word, it's a hard word to say, they are imprecatory psalms. To imprecate means to call down judgment, to call down wrath. Or to even to curse imprecatory psalms. And so we, we're praying, or the psalmist is praying, Lord, destroy them, <laughs> judge them. Let me just give a few examples of these type of psalms. Psalm 35, 1 to 8. I'll read them very quickly, this, but um, Psalm 35, 1 to 8. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against, listen, fight against those who fight against me. 
Take up shield and buckler, arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them since they hide their net for me without cause and without cause dug a pit for me. May ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. And he says, then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in the Lord. Whoa, whoopee. Wow. That's, that's strong stuff, isn't it? Psalm 55. Psalm 55. Just a few verses in Psalm 55. Verse 12. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising, against, raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave, for evil finds lodging among them. And then Psalm 58, verse 3. So there should be a health warning on this one Psalm 58 verse 3 even from birth the wicked go astray from the womb they are wayward and speak lies their venom is like the venom of a snake like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears that that will not heed the tune of the charmer however skillful the enchanter may be break the teeth in their mouths O Lord tear out O Lord the fangs of the lion let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows be blunted. Like a slug melting as it moves along, like a stillborn child, may they not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether they be green or dry, the wicked will be swept away. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they bathe their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then... Men will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. I could have read more. And the song of Deborah is, is, is quite intri intriguing as well, where she puts into song the beautiful, a lovely, lovely song of how somebody put a tent peg right through the temple of Caesarea. And actually, that's just the chorus of that song. It's, it's interesting. But there are passages like that. And uh, I think we have to deal with them. We have to, cut. We have to think, well, how, wh why are they there? Is the, some have used these passages to say, well, that's clear that the God of the Old Testament is different to the God of the New. God of the old is a bloodthirsty God. The God of the new is a loving God. So there's this distinction, and so they use that. So let, let me just give you some pointers to understanding these things, and then we'll see how it applies to us. First of all, we do need to see, when you read things like this, especially the Psalms, that Hebrew poetry does use very vivid terminology. 
very, if you like, extravagant language. And even exaggerated language. Jesus actually used exaggerated language as part of his Hebrew teaching. So when David calls God for God to break their teeth, he's not literally praying, God, would you break their teeth? It's, obviously, it's, it's, it's obvious that that's just poetic language. It's a poetic way of describing the way that he feels that God needs to deal with his enemies. He's calling on God to judge them. Matthew Henry quaintly puts it, he's calling them to disable them to do further mischief. In other words, to have their teeth pulled out, metaphorically speaking. So we, we, you have to under, we have to understand that. But secondly, and, and this is really important, in these imprecatory prayers, it's, it's, it's not the psalmist who's doing, the, doing the, the, the wrath, if you like. He's actually calling upon God to do this. He's calling upon God to judge. So verse 20, going back to Psalm 69 and verse 24. Psalm 69 verse 24. So it's a prayer to God. So it's not personal vengeance. He's saying, God, would you do this? Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. Verse 27 Lord, basically, charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life. That's God's work. And not be listed with the righteous. This, this, the Psalms, the Psalmists, they're not expressing personal revenge in these things. Like sort of striking back. But they're asking God to do something. And they're asking God to do something for his name's sake. For his glory. And that's the third thing. The psalmist is more concerned about the honour and reputation of God. So verse 9. The first part of verse 9. For zeal for your house consumes me. Now, just, just, just stop there. We, we won't go on. David, what's concerning you? What, what's, what's upsetting you? What's, what's really gnawing away at you here? Why are you so concerned and the answer is because of what they've done, not to me, but to God's house. Zeal for your house consumes me. And in David's mind, God's house was God's presence. That's where God was. And so he goes on, verse 9, at the second part. And the insults of those who insult you fall on me. Right. So the insults of these people, they might be coming to me, but actually it's to God. So the insults that they are pouring on you. They're, they are falling on me. This wasn't personal. He was concerned about God's honour and God's glory. In other words, what he's saying is, Lord, they are dishonouring you. They're dishonouring your name. Yes, they're persecuting me, and they're worthy of judgment, but it's you they're persecuting. So God, vindicate yourself and judge them. So, David, this isn't about personal animosity. He's, he's almost, he is the king. And he's, almost, he's speaking as the people's representative. And of God's representative. And he's praying as God's representative on earth. God, defend your integrity. Defend your honour. So ultimately he sees those who are causing these things were challenging God. And, and not himself. 
Where does the love of God come into this? Does it, does it come into this? Does the Old Testament have the love of God in it? Well, yeah, it does. There are some wonderful passages about the love of God and about the need to forgive. And, and just, I've, got, I've just got one reference here in Job. Job 31 and uh, 29, 30. If you probably know that Job is reckoned to be the earliest book of the Old Testament. And Job 31 are the earliest written of the books. And this is uh, Job verse 29 and verse 30. He says, If I have rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune, or gloated over the trouble that came to him, I have not allowed... And then he goes on to say, he doesn't answer that, but then he goes, he goes on to say and defends himself, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by invoking a curse against his life. You see what Job's saying? But he's, he's, he's appealing to his, his character. He says, have I, have I, have I um, called on the extinction of my enemies? And rejoiced on evil when it's befallen them. And he says the, the answer is no. I haven't done that. When you hear of terrorists doing awful things. And that terrorist gets blown up. As they do it. Do you, do you ever feel a bit of kind of. Well that just, re, just re deserts there. When an immoral ungodly profane sort of person. Experiences disaster. Righteous Job said this, I haven't rejoiced at the destruction of those who hated me. I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for a curse on his soul. And I think that's quite a challenge actually. Because we all feel that. I, I don't know what you, when you heard of that um, crash, those four lads, tragedy in Bradford. And then you heard that they were chased by a police car. Part of you thinks, well, maybe they got their just desserts, you know. Something's awful of that. You feel that. Do. You naturally feel something like that. And yet, to have an eternal perspective, should we have compassion and concern for their soul? Somebody's gone into hell if they don't know the Lord. And the perfect example of this is seen in Jesus, isn't it? He loved his enemies with a perfect love. But when it came to defending the holiness of God and the honour of God, he was strong. And he actually used a whip on an occasion, didn't he? He had this. He he drove out the the the, uh, the money changers who were dishonouring the temple, the place where God, God's presence was. I think that that shows to me that that the difference between personal anger and righteous anger. There is a place for righteous anger. And yet we must, we're so sinful that righteous anger so easily slips into personal anger. And that's why I think God says in his word, don't let the sun go down on your anger, whatever it is. Don't, don't because we're sinful. We, we very easily just move into sinful anger. And I think that, that this is what Dave is expressing in the psalm, this righteous anger. He's saying that almost, Lord, as far as I'm concerned, I'll forgive them and love them, but for your sake, I hate what they do to your name, and I'm grieved by that.
So, here's a question, and uh, just sort of draw this together. Do we pray then, like David prayed, for those who cause Christians to suffer, and when we are suffering, or when we're experiencing trouble? And the answer to that is yes and no. Which is always a good answer. Yes and no. Yes, in that there is a place for a righteous anger and a sense of grief and heartache at all the injustices that are happening. There is a rightness there. There should be a deep concern for God's honour and glory to be upheld. I think just quickly an example of that is Revelation 6 in the New Testament. Revelation 6 and verse 10. Here they're crying to heaven, crying up to God because of all the suffering of those being martyred on the earth. And Revelation 6 verse 10, they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. So there is a place, that's a place, that's a New Testament prayer. Lord, come quickly. Let justice prevail. Come. Oh God, it pains me it, it i have some grief some of the grief that you must feel and that's a new testament prayer how long until you judge and avenge our blood there's an aspect of these prayers that we're to hold on to in our attitude and prayers for those who persecute those who suffer those who cause trouble but the answer as well is no we don't pray like david prayed prayed because the new testament reveals a greater light to us isn't it? Of the love of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God that the Old Testament never had. And so Jesus said, we won't, uh, I won't turn to this, but it, you, let me just read it in Luke's Gospel 6. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. And uh, I will read this. This is Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. An often neglected passage, I think, this. Romans 12, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we can experience in a much greater way than any Old Testament saint could. The love of God, the grace of God. And the compassion of God. I was very challenged by. I, I get these um, excerpts um, from. Sorry, updates rather of, of the persecuted church, and this is from Release International from India. And here, um, I'll just read this. Just read it as it came. A partially blind girl was among those beaten by a mob of masked Hindu extremists during a recent attack on a church in Uttar Pradesh, northern India. After the attack in July, which traumatised families, nine of about 50 injured Christians needed hospital treatment. 
As well as the injured girl, identified as Rishu, who was severely beaten with sticks all over her body, a ten-year-old boy needed stitches to a head wound. Church pastor Gautam told Morningstar News that more of the injured would have sought hospital treatment, but were afraid of further violence. Those beaten included children as young as seven, as well as women and the elderly, said the pastor. And then it goes on to say, uh, he said that as well as the physical injuries, those attacked had also been mentally traumatised. Charges against the attackers were registered, but no arrests were made. The day after, a counter-complaint which carried stricter punishment was made against the Christians. And the threat that the attackers have threatened to kill us if we meet for worship again, said Pastor Gautam. I was challenged by that because this is what the pastor said. He said, the way they have relentlessly beaten the believers, these were part of his congregation, made me so angry that I wanted to retaliate. But then when I look to God, all my anger goes away. And I was thinking, would I have said that? Could I do that? Would my family have experienced that? And that, that is the love of God, the love of Christ. And how else can anybody pray, Father, forgive like that? Father, would you forgive them without God's help? Jesus, when he was reviled, did not revile. In return, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So what's to be our attitude toward those who cause trouble, who we just have maybe feel that they, they deserve more than they're getting, you know, in terms of judgment or justice and things like that. It is to love them. It is to love them. And to ask for God's help to do that. It is still to hold on to that righteous anger and honour for God's name and pray for him to come and move in that situation and one day to vindicate his name. But do we want them to go to hell? No. Do we want those people to lose their soul in hell? Do we want them to die in their sins? No, because but for the grace of God, there go I. No matter how violent or vile Islamic terrorists, IS, foul-mouthed, anti-Christian people, whatever, however secular-minded, those who criticize Christians and dishonor them, however our attitude has to be the attitude of Christ. This is, I'll finish with these quotes. This is what Brother Andrew said, founder of Open Doors. As followers of Christ, we must take a bold step. We must shed the enemy image we have of those who persecute us. Because the moment we have an enemy image of anyone, God's love can no longer work through us to reach them. We must pray for and even love those who hate us. And then lastly, this is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was executed by the Nazis for his faith, because he was a Christian, stood up for Christ, stood up for his, the truth. And this is what he wrote. This commandment to love your enemies and pray for your persecutors will grow even more urgent in the holy struggle which lies before us. The Christians will be hounded from place to place 
subjected to physical assaults, maltreatment and death of every kind. We're approaching an age of widespread persecution. Soon the time will come when our prayers will be a prayer of earnest love for these who stand around and gaze at us with eyes aflame with hatred and who have perhaps already raised their hands to kill us. That's prophetic, what he said there. He said, yes, the church which is really waiting for its Lord and which discerns the signs of the times must fling itself with its utmost power and with the armour of its holy life into this prayer of love for these people. So let's uh, just turn to prayer as we think about this. Lord, our, our attitude must be always a forgiving one. We see much injustice in the world and Lord, when we think of it, our, our hearts and minds can hardly cope with the suffering that's around that you see. As you see all things, you see all evil perpetrated in this world. But Lord, we pray. We pray that you would not let your enemies continue to dishonour your name. We pray that you would take the glory that is due to you. And we pray, Lord, that in this time of grace, that you would reach out to these who are your enemies with your amazing mercy and love. And we pray that people would come to know Christ as their Saviour and Lord. Lord, give, give relief to those who suffer, we pray. Give them the joy of forgiveness. Help them, Lord, we pray, to show the love of Christ. And help us, Lord, if we are ever called, maybe some are called now and experiencing sort of rejection and hurt and maybe there be friends or family members or people at work, Lord, we pray and I pray for them that they would know the infilling of your spirit to have the mind of Christ and the grace and the compassion of Jesus. Bless them, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.